So 1 Peter chapter 2, starting at verse 4. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. And a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you, as aliens and strangers in the world, to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Um, There's been some pretty noticeable changes in our society in recent years um, that have led people to be less inclined to commit, to be involved in things. Uh, In my grandfather's generation, I remember hearing this one time, that they would normally have the one career, probably even the one job throughout their entire life. Uh, My father's generation was a little different, possibly one or two career changes. Uh, And those changes... Uh, The the fact that people stayed committed to the job was about loyalty to their employer and for the employer to show that loyalty to them because they've hung in there. Uh, Today it's not unusual for people to have four or five career changes, not just job changes, and many people will work on contracts, year-by-year contracts, so that if it's not working out for them, they can move on to somewhere else. Now, I don't want to say that that trend is necessarily bad. Bad. I think it's probably quite easy to understand. But there are other examples of that kind of consistency and loyalty that uh, belong to different generations. Um, my mum uh, banked with the Commonwealth Bank her entire life. She's only ever had the one bank account with the Commonwealth Bank. Uh, but there's not that sort of loyalty today. People will switch banks in a heartbeat, change it because someone's offering a better, a better deal on a home loan. Um, But people today also see the big banks uh, as just making huge profits and not necessarily always doing the right thing, so they don't want to show any loyalty to a bank who has treated them badly. When I was growing up, you were either a Ford family or a Holden family. Lord only knows why you'd drive one of those pieces of rubbish Ford things, but, uh, but apparently people saw some reason to buy them. Now, none of these changes are necessarily good or bad, but it is helpful to understand how our society has moved and changed in recent years. 
Last week we were looking at the question of why should I love my church and today we're looking at the question how should I love my church. When it comes to why should I love my church, the answer is pretty simple. Because God wants you to. And when it comes to how we should love our church, well, we're going to look at that as we go through this this morning. I think one of the important ways of people to love their church is to actually acknowledge that it is their church, to, to have that level of commitment to it. It's not just a place that you happen to go to on Sunday morning. It's actually a thing that you're committed to, a group of people that you're committed to. Uh, as we look, saw last week, we saw that if the church is how God is at work in the world, if, if the church is the place where people are going to be strengthened and built up in their relationship with God, if the church is the place that you can encourage other people, if the church is the way that God is sending out his message of, of Jesus into this world, then why wouldn't you want to be committed to it? Now, don't get me wrong, I'm certainly not saying you should never switch church or this is the only church that you should ever come to. That's not the point at all. Uh, I've seen people who've hung in at churches way longer than they should have. They should have left because it was a church that was preaching out-and-out heresy or churches where there's no chance of arresting the rot, that it's going to be a church that will die and close. There are churches that are an appalling witness to the community and you ought not to be involved in churches like that. But under normal, normal circumstances, I think it's right for people to have an ownership of their church, to feel that it is their church, that they are committed to it. Going to church is not like going to a movie. You don't simply go there just to be entertained for a short period of time and then get on with your life after that. Um, one of the common images that we see of the church in uh, the Bible is the idea of a family. God is our heavenly father and those who are part of our church are our brothers and sisters in Christ. And that we are, we are to have that level of ownership and that level of commitment to the people who are part of this church. It's important to remember that church is about relationships, our relationship with God and our relationships with each other. Now, the, another reason for owning your church and seeing it as your church is that you're owning that you actually have a responsibility towards others within the life of this church. There's an expression that comes up uh, 59 times in the pages of the New Testament. I'm not expecting you to be able to read all of those. I just wanted to show you what they were. So 59 times, it's the expression one another. And it talks about, those verses talk about the responsibilities that we have towards one another. One third of them are saying that we ought to love one another. Another third of them are stressing the unity that we ought to have with the others within our, within our church. 15% of them are talking about humility, which I find quite interesting, that you're humbling yourself and committing yourself to other people. Not standing up and looking for the, for the applause, but getting in and supporting and encouraging others. And then the rest of them are things like bearing with one another, uh, sharing one another's burdens, being hospitality with one another, and spurring one another on toward love and good deeds. See, God has called us to be his people and he expects his people to have a concern for one another, to care for one another, to look out for one another, to encourage one another, to spur one another on toward love and good deeds. It's no surprise that one third of those verses are talking about loving one another. 
That's what Jesus stressed to his disciples. In fact, I've said this before, I still think it's the most challenging verse for me in the Bible. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That's a tough ask, isn't it? That we are to love each other and we're to love each other in a way that everybody outside there should be able to notice it. Should be able to say, those guys really care for each other, don't they? They really look after each other. It should be a noticeable thing in our society, in our community. Jesus said it should be the standout feature of his church for the, in front of the rest of the world. And it's a big ask. Um, like, I said, like I've said before, the church isn't a performance that you attend or a ritual that you participate in. It's a group of people who are united through their common trust in Jesus. It's a group of people who are committed, that you are committed to, and they're committed to you. It's a group of people that you are to love. We meet together around God's word, and we meet together to encourage each other, to spur one another on towards love and good deeds, as the writer of Hebrews says. And consider it... And, and sorry, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, at the risk of stating the mind-numbingly obvious, to be able to encourage one another, to be able to love one another, it's going to assume that you know one another that you know what's going on in someone else's life, that you're aware of the things that they're facing or the joys that, sh- that they have at this time. It's hard to love other people or to encourage other people or to care for other people when you don't even know them. And that's why I think getting here early for church is a great thing. It's a fantastic... The, I, the thing I love most about our church is seeing 20 or 30 people standing out there on the concrete talking and it's amazing how many people walk past and see that and you know I'm really hoping that they see that and think wow those guys really like each other don't they they're really interested in each other we're not standing around on our own we're standing around talking to other people as we before we meet together here in the morning morning tea is another great part of what happens here as a church why we want to encourage everyone to move from this building over to that building to continue the conversation, to continue to encourage one another. There'll be other times when we can get to know each other better. There'll be times when we can get a clearer picture of how it is that we can actually love and care for and and support other people. This is a uh, photo of the Australian under-20 rugby union team. They competed a few years ago in the, uh, in the under-20s World Cup, didn't do as well as we would have liked, but they, they performed reasonably well. A lot of people in that photo, aren't there? I mean, especially when you consider there's only 15 people who actually get onto the ground at any one time to play the game. There's actually 38 people in that photo. Only 15 will be on the field when the whistle blows, but does that mean that the other 23 aren't important or aren't needed? Well, of course not. I mean, every single person in that photo is essential to that team's success. The players, the coaches, the trainers, the doctors, the physios, the dietitians, the admin people. The team needs each one of those people to do their part 
for that team to be able to succeed. And some of them might seem like simple, menial little tasks, like organising the bus that gets you to the ground. But if you don't have the bus, then you don't get to the ground and you don't play the game. And the same is true with churches. It's made up of a whole variety of people, people with a variety of gifts and abilities. It's made up as a body of many parts, and each part is essential for the functioning of the church. The parts aren't all the same. Uh, For the body to function, it needs a whole range of different parts, eyes, ears, hands, feet. So that means that every person who is part of this church has a part to play, has a role to play in the life of this body that meets here on Sunday mornings. If you think that this is your church, then you have a part to play to help this church function, to help it work properly. The Bible says that God has given each of us different gifts and abilities to be able to serve within the life of the church. There's no exhaustive list anywhere. There's a few places that uh, the writers list them. Paul shows them in Romans and in 1 Corinthians and Ephesians and, and Peter talks about a couple of them as well. Different gifts that people have to be able to serve within the life of the church. Some of them in the passage here seem quite miraculous like healing and prophecy and tongues. Some of them seem very ordinary, like administration or giving or service. But each part is needed for the body to be able to work. Everybody has to play their part. Now, I've told this story on numerous occasions, but uh, bear with me while I tell it again. This man's name is Les Paul. Anyone who knows anything about guitars knows this man. He's the designer of the guitar that bears his name, the Gibson Les Paul. In 1948, when he was only 37 years old, he was in a car accident and his right arm was very badly broken and he never regained the full use of it. But he managed to convince the doctor to set his arm at a 90-degree angle for one very simple reason. He wanted to be able to continue playing the guitar. Now, For Les Paul, that was a decision about his priorities. Imagine how difficult it would be if your arm was frozen like that. There'd be so many other things in life that would be really, really difficult to do. But he did that so that he could continue playing his guitar. There's a man who knows his highest priority. And for him, everything else was going to fit in around that priority. Now, I would think it was fair to say that your relationship with God is your highest priority and that you should be making sure that other things fit in around that, that it doesn't get pushed to the side and other decisions take higher priority. We need to make sure that our relationship with God is central to who we are and that it shapes the decisions that we make, that it actually defines how our life is going to be lived. Jesus said that there was that one verse that sums up the whole Old Testament. Oh, that's not it. About loving the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind and with all of your strength and that you should also love your neighbour as yourself. Loving God and loving others, especially those who are part of the life of this church. So can I say it again? 
If you think that this church is how God is at work in the world, and if you think the church is the place where you're going to be strengthened and built up in your Christian life, and if you think the church is the place where you can actually encourage others because you're part of this body, and if you think the church is the way that God is getting his message about Jesus to this community around us, then why wouldn't you want to be committed to it? It begins with ownership, acknowledging that this is the church that you're a part of. Not a performance you attend if you have a free morning on Sunday. It's recognising that you have a a responsibility to one another. That we need to get to know each other better. That we need to make sure that we're caring for each other, supporting each other, loving each other, spurring one another on towards love and good deeds. And it's about using the gifts and abilities that God has given us to build up this church and to see the message of Jesus communicated in actions and in words to those people around us who don't yet know him. We're to use the gifts that God has given us. Everyone has a role to play. Everyone's going to have a different part to play. But everyone will have a part to help the body to function properly. Everyone has something that they can contribute to the life of the church here at Campbell Street. What we need to ensure is that people are committed to each other, that we want to see others built up and encouraged in their relationship with God. So let me finish with these words from Hebrews where the writer says this. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching.